Good morning. Man, Torin picked the wrong Sunday or week to get his nose broken for a deviated symptom or something like that. This is elect- electric this morning. It is electric. I think it's a, uh, where are my college students at this morning? We, have got, we got some college, give me a whoop whoop. Oh, it's so good to have you guys back. Welcome back. We have missed you guys. This church doesn't feel like church without you. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Uh, have you ever, in any point in your life, started to love something or care for something that you never thought you would before you met someone or a group of people? Yeah? Uh, we got some college students in the room. So when I was a freshman, I attended Huntington University in the middle of nowhere in northeast Indiana. And I moved into a dorm called Wright Hall. And I met a group of guys. And so forewarning, if you're a freshman, uh, you're going to fall in love with some things that you never thought you would before because you're going to meet a bunch of idiots that love something. And you're going to be like, I love this too now. So I met a group of guys, and they were obsessed with this show called River Monsters. Anybody seen this show, River Monsters? Yeah. The, the main guy, his name is Jeremy Wade. Now, he's like foreign, English or Australian or something. So when he says his name, it sounds more like, oh, I'm Jeremy Wade. And he's got massive, but you can't see his biceps, but he's got massive biceps. He's a real outdoorsy guy, loves to fish. And just the show just traces him going to all these different places and like hunting and fishing for these like massive creatures like that one. (laughs) I don't know what kind of fish that is. Now, I, uh, I'm not foreign. I don't have a cool accent. I don't have big biceps, as you can see. Uh, I do not, I'm not outdoorsy and I don't love to fish. I've only fished like once and I hated it. I don't have the patience. But I loved Jeremy Wade. Okay, like we would get in a room together, and every time Jeremy hooks a fish, he says, fish on, fish on. And uh, some crazy music starts playing, and like the room would erupt. We'd be like, oh, yeah, let's go. Jeremy's about to catch another freaking river monster. Now, like I said, I've never fished more than like once or twice. But because a group of people that I really like to hang out with, they loved something. I began to care and love for something that I never thought I would have. Because when you love and care for someone, you begin to love and care about the things that they love. And so this translates to our love for Jesus, right? When we fall in love with Jesus, Jesus changes everything. And so all of a sudden, everything else begins to take care of itself. And I begin to love what Jesus loves. I begin to do what Jesus does. Not even necessarily because of what I believe. Not even necessarily because of what I know. But because of what I love. Because of who I love. We've been in this series called Cardiology for the past few weeks, and we've been looking at the, our, our loves, our desires, and the impact that they have on our lives. Because the truth is that, that Jesus, Jesus is someone who's after our wants. He's after our desires. It's the first question that he asks his disciples in the Gospel of John. In chapter 1, verse 38, he says to his disciples, what do you want? He doesn't ask, what do you believe? He doesn't ask, what do you know? He says, what do you want? He says, what are you seeking for? And he does this because he isn't a teacher who changes what you believe or what you want. He changes what you love. He changes what you desire. So as followers of Jesus, our longings, our desires should reflect those of Jesus. They should align with those of Jesus, like my sudden love for river monsters because I started hanging out, hanging out with this group of dudes in Wright Hall. Now, lucky for us through his life, Jesus didn't just teach us uh, how to love. Jesus also taught us what to love. Jesus didn't just teach us how to love. Jesus also taught us what to love. So last week, Torin taught, and we, and we talked about Jesus' love for the church and how important the church is for us as Christians, how we should love that and the impact that the church can have on our lives. 
And this week and then next week also, we'll be, we're going to look at a few of the other things that Jesus clearly loved. And this morning, we're going to dig into one of Jesus' loves. I think it's actually one of his most radical loves. And we find it in the book of Matthew. If you guys have your Bibles, if you could turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. Uh, we'll have it on the screen as well. I'm going to read. This is, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So he's given this long teaching about what the kingdom of God is like. And in this part, he's been saying a couple of things like, you've heard this, but I want to tell you this. He's kind of transposing a couple of different things. And we pick up in verse 43, and Jesus says this. He says, you have heard that it was said... Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there's a really important word in that passage. It's the word enemy. Jesus says, you've heard it said that you should hate your enemy and love your neighbor. I tell you that you should love your enemy. And the word enemy is a translation of the Greek word. Uh, this Greek word is uh, ekthron. Everyone say ekthron. Ekthron. It's, it, it flows off the tongue, and it also kind of sounds kind of epic, right? Ekthron. It's this Greek word, and, and it's not specifically just to mean enemies. It's kind of actually, it's a broad word. Commentators uh, will often say that maybe the best way to understand ekthron is actually any and all people that you don't get along with. Ekthron is more, it's less specifically about enemies and more any and all people that you don't get along with, people who are different from you. So ekthron can be personal and it can be an individual thing, but it can also be a collective thing. It could be citywide or statewide or nationwide. So your ekthron could be the person who, while you're driving on the highway, cuts you off and you get like really angry, like that's your ekthron. Or your ekthron, we got some freshmen in here maybe, your ekthron could be the new roommate that you just met and you're like, you see the world differently, and she goes to bed late at night, you go to bed early, and all the different things, like, you're like, you're my ekthron, right? But it could also be collective. It could be like the enemy of a nation that you live in, like ISIS. ISIS could be your ekthron. It could be, it could be personal, like the person that you work with, and you disagree with constantly because you just see the world differently, but it could also be collective. It could be, uh, let's say, a, a person who belongs to a domestic terrorist group that uses racism and violence to promote their ideals or beliefs. You see, ekthron is anyone who you don't get along with. Your ekthron is someone who is different than you, sees the world differently than you do. And Jesus instructs us to love our ekthron, to love our enemy. He instructs us to love them. Have you ever heard something uh, that you thought was saying one thing and then you found out it was saying something else completely? Uh, I think a good example of this is uh, song lyrics. A lot of people uh, will hear a song, they think it says one thing, and then they find out it says something else completely. Uh, I want you to turn to your neighbor and uh, tell them what's one song that you thought you knew the lyrics to, but you didn't know the lyrics to. You got it totally wrong. Real quick. Yeah, there's lots of talking because everyone's done it. Now, 
Some of you, some of you in the room are worse than some of you are worse than others at hearing song lyrics, right? Like, I do think that it's a skill. All right, are we good? Has everyone shared? I'm trying to talk, but you guys are still trying to share your song lyric. I don't need you to sing the whole song to him. I just need you to tell the one lyric, all right? Some people are, are really bad at it, right? Like some of you in the room are like, where do I start? I have like a list of 20 songs that I've gotten the lyrics from. One of those people is my wife, Olivia. She is bad at, she is bad at hearing song lyrics. Uh, we, we were uh, recently, a year or two ago maybe, we were listening to a song. Uh, any Amy Winehouse fans in the room? Yeah, Amy Winehouse, she's awesome. I love Amy Winehouse. One of my favorite songs we were listening to, and I found out she had the word totally wrong. Uh, so I, I'm going to play like 30 seconds of this song for you guys. I want you to hear, the, there's like a hook, there's a chorus, there's a, a word or phrase that she's repeating. I want you to listen for that. Uh, I'm going to play this song really quick. Just 30 seconds. Of it. Come on over. Stop making a fool out of me. Oh, why don't you come on over, Valerie? good, right? Smooth, huh? Amy Winehouse, she's good. You're like, oh, dang, I need to go look her up on iTunes. All right, now, there was a, there was a word that she said over and over again in the, in the course. It was Valerie. Did you guys hear it? Yeah, you guys all? Okay, so until recently, we were, sitting, we were in the car, we were listening to this song, and I heard Olivia, and I said, wait, 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 what are you saying? And she's singing, and she's like, that way, why don't you come on over that way, that way. And I was like, Olivia, it's Valerie. <laughs> and you're like, well, no, 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 Valerie, that way, they sound kind of similar. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. She says Valerie like over and over again in the course. And then she has like a one minute bridge where she's just saying Valerie, 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 Valerie. And this is the worst part. The name of the song is Valerie. Okay, like, there's no excuse, all right? If you want to be on Olivia's side, there's no excuse here. I'm glad that I was able to enlighten her, and all of a sudden, the song that was about a generic person coming over that way actually had a specific person. It's about Valerie for Olivia. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is like Amy Winehouse or anything like that, but I am saying that I think the people who are listening to Jesus in this moment when he's given this teaching, or having a similar experience to Olivia, finding out that that way is actually Valerie. See, because Jesus, what he's doing is he's taking something that was central to the imagination of the people who are listening to his teaching. This idea to love your neighbor, it was central. It was a command in the Torah, and Jesus even said throughout his ministry, what's one of the greatest commands? Jesus said, love your neighbor. It was central to, to what people thought and how they organized their life. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. In fact, many people tested Jesus over and over again, asking this question, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, what he does in this moment is he sort of, he presents a radical idea. He flips neighbor on its head and he says that your enemy, your ekthron, is your neighbor. The people that you don't get along with, the people that are different from you, that is your neighbor and you are to love them. And then Jesus explains why. He explains why you're supposed to love your enemy, why you're supposed to love the people who are different from you, why you're supposed to love the people that you don't get along with. And his answer is very simple. It's because this is what God is like. 
This is what God's kingdom is like. To love those who don't love you back. To love those who, people who are different from you. To love those people who you don't get along with. To love people who are your enemies. And Jesus wants to make sure that his audience doesn't think that this is a piece of like cool, pithy wisdom. But this is actually a reflection of the character of God himself. That's why he says in verse 45, we read in verse 45, Jesus says that God the Father, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He causes the the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Like God the Father treats and cares and loves for his creation equally, neighbor and enemy. You see, Jesus' way is to love all. Jesus doesn't just love people who are like him. Jesus loves people who he doesn't get along with. Jesus loves people who are different than him. Jesus loves his enemy because this is what God's kingdom is like. And then in verse 46 and 47, Jesus keeps going. He's like, no, 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 I'm not done. You think I'm done, but I'm going to keep going. You see, he mentions two types of people. He says, he mentions tax collectors and he mentions pagans. Pagans are people who at the time didn't believe in the God of Israel. These are two types of people that were very different from the people that were listening to Jesus at the time. There were two people who the Jewish audience listening to Jesus didn't get along with. They were two people who would have been considered enemies. And Jesus says that if you only love people who are like you, then you're no better than them. He says if you only love people who are like you, you're no better than the tax collectors. If you only love people who are like you, then you're no better than the pagans. Now for us, it can be easy to like brush this off. Because like we're not Jewish and we didn't live 2,000 years ago and Jesus isn't saying this to us, but this would have hit like hard. This would have hit home to the people listening. They would have been like, what? You're saying I'm like a tax collector? So today, like Jesus, the modern translation might be, Jesus might have said, I'm not saying he would say this exactly, but he might say that if you only love people who are like you, then you're no better than a crooked politician. If you only love people who are like you, then you're no better than a common street criminal who uh, traffics humans or sells drugs or does whatever. If you only love people who are like you, then you're no better than the father or the son waiting, uh, awaiting trial for the murder of Ahmad Arbery. If you only love people who are like you, then you're no better than your enemy. You see, because Jesus' way is to love all. Jesus doesn't just love people who are like him. Jesus loves people who are his enemies. Jesus loves people who don't get along with him. Jesus loves people who are different from him. We have a value at our church. Uh, it, It goes something like this. Different is beautiful. Different is beautiful. And it's this very idea We want to pursue, we want to love, we want to care for people who are different from us. People who have different backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses, ethnicities, traditions, people that see the world differently from us. We believe that we we should love, we should care, we should engage with those people because different is beautiful. And I think a lot of the times that when we think of this value, we think of like this cool, sexy church that kind of like has it all going on. And we got like some diversity going, right? And we think of diversity as like a commodity. But diversity, hear me, diversity is not a commodity. Diversity is a responsibility in the kingdom of God. And diversity isn't a luxury. 
Diversity is hard. It's countercultural. It's backbreaking work. You see, when we love Jesus, when we say different is beautiful, we commit to caring for and loving and engaging with people who are different from us who are different from us, who we don't get along with, people who feel like our enemies. We commit to, and we commit to loving and engaging with people who come from a different background or socioeconomic status or ethnicity or tradition, and they see the world in a completely different way, and we commit to doing that even, no, especially when it's hard. And it will be hard. And we do that not just because it's beautiful. We do that because that's what Jesus loves. That's who Jesus loves. That's what God's kingdom is like. This is hard. This is hard. This week, uh, as, as I was preparing for the message, I didn't think it was going to go this direction at all. I had a kind of a whole sermon planned out in my head. <laughs> and uh, I just, since God uh, leading me to this passage of Jesus in Matthew, he's teaching of loving your enemy. And I even spent some time this week thinking, oh, who are my ekthron? Who are my enemies? And I was thinking how I, how I need to love them, how I need to pray for them. And in the midst of all that's going on, the shooting of Jacob Blake and the protests in Kenosha and the, the violence following that, all that's been happening, I, I, really, I was really challenged. I was even almost brought to tears one morning thinking about some of the people who feel like my enemies, who I don't get along with, who feel di- very different from me, and I'm supposed to love them. I'm even supposed to pray for them. It's hard. Do we have any uh, tennis fans in the room? I know it feels like a hard right, but stick with me. Any tennis fans? Yeah? Yeah, we've got some tennis fans. All right, I'm a huge tennis fan. I just started playing like a little, uh, almost a year ago, but I've been watching for a while. Sounds weird, right? Why would you watch a sport you don't like to play? But that's me. I love tennis. Okay, so uh, if you didn't know this, um, returning a professional serve from a professional tennis player like Rafa Nadal, we got a picture of Rafa, maybe? Yeah. That's my favorite tennis player. He's so good. Okay. Uh, returning a serve from a guy like Rafa is, a lot of people don't know this, but even if you're a professional tennis player, returning a serve from another professional tennis player, it's physically and neurologically impossible. Like, the body and the mind can't move that quick. So if you didn't know, a tennis court is 70, I have this written down somewhere. 78, wait, 78 feet long. Tennis court's 78 feet long. Now, the average tennis serve from a professional tennis player like Ralph Nadal with his big left bicep and his right one's not as big. Uh, that's a fun fact. You should look it up. Uh, average professional tennis serve is about 115 to 120 miles per hour. Now, the top servers will get up to like 150 miles an hour or just a little bit over that, which is insane. So with the court that long and a serve that fast, scientists say that you have about half a second to see the serve, evaluate it, decide how you want to hit it, and then actually hit it. Half a second. Half a second is the time that it takes for your windshield wiper to go fast over like one time when it's like full speed. Half a second is the time that it takes when you're staring at the toaster and the bread's in and the bread's done and it pops up and it freaks you out even though you were expecting it the whole time. That's how long it takes for that bread to pop up. Half a second is the time it takes for your eyes to blink. Everyone blink. Half a second. That's all that you have to do all of that. See it, evaluate it, 
decide how you want to hit it, and then hit it. So within that half a second, scientists say that you have about 300 milliseconds to react physically. Because you have to see it, right? And then evaluate and then hit it. You have 300 milliseconds. Now, most of us scientists say we can't even like adjust our racket a few inches in that time. But somehow these professional tennis players are able to return a serve. In an article about this, Frank Partnoy, he writes that returning a serve, it's a largely un- return a professional tennis serve. Okay, now if you're out there with your, your buddy, it's probably not that hard. Okay, uh, a professional tennis player, all right? It's largely an unconscious physical reaction. It has to be. Given the speed of the ball, there is not enough time to consider spin or angle. Conscious contemplation takes at least half a second. So anyone who even tries to think about how to return a shot would end up helplessly watching the ball fly by. But you're like, well, wait. How, is it just serves? Have I watched a tennis match? Is it just serves? If, no. Somehow the professional tennis players have figured out a way to return a serve. So you serve, return, and that's what makes tennis fun, right? How do they do this? They develop what scientists call a kinesthetic sense. Everyone say kinesthetic sense. Kinesthetic sense. Now, other athletes do this as well, but tennis players especially. Some people call this uh, feel. The kinesthetic sense is the ability to do something responsively and reactively without even thinking about it. So the, the serve comes. You don't have to see it, evaluate it, decide how you want to hit it, and then hit it. The serve comes, and boom. It's, it's reactive. It's responsive. It's, it's out of habit. You don't even have to think about it. That's how you develop this kinesthetic sense. And that's how you return a serve coming at your face 115 miles an hour. So tennis players, they they spend hours and hours and hours hitting thousands and thousands of strokes day after day after day to develop this kinesthetic sense. To develop this ability to do something responsively and reactively without even thinking about it out of habit. To do something that is physically and neurologically impossible. And I think for many of us, loving our enemies feels physically and neurologically impossible. It feels like returning a serve from a professional tennis player. And I think the only way to move forward, the only way to love the way that Jesus loves, to do the things that Jesus does, is to build up, like a tennis player, a sort of a kinesthetic sense to build up uh, uh, habits in our lives in such a way that we responsively and we reactively out of habit without thinking, we love our enemies. We love people who are different from us. We love people who we don't get along with without even thinking about it. And Jesus, Jesus is pretty awesome. And he gave us a creative step forward. He gave us a way to begin to develop this kinesthetic sense, this feel, this ability to love people who are different from us without even thinking about it, it's habit. Someone mistreats you, your first instinct isn't to to talk bad about them or wish bad upon them. Your first instinct is to love them, to care for them. And Jesus said it, actually, in in the passage that we read this morning. In verse 44, Jesus said, gave us this creative step forward. He said, it's prayer. He said, pray for your enemies. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to practice 
this. I want us to begin to build this ability to love people who are different from us, to love people who we don't get along with, to love people who feel like our enemies responsively and reactively with, out of habit without even thinking about it. So we're going to do that by doing what Jesus told us to do, by praying for our enemies. And so what I want us to do is I, I want you to, we're going to take a, a few minutes and I want you to think about someone who is your ekthron. Someone who feels like your enemy, someone who is different from you, someone who you just don't get along with. It could be an individual person or it could be a group of people. I'm going to give you like 10 seconds to just think about that person or that group of people really quick. All right, so now that you have that person or that group of people, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for them. We're going to take a minute or two of silence, and we're going to pray for that person, whoever that is, your ekthron, your enemy, that person that you just don't get along with. And I want you to, in this time, I want you to pray for two things. First, I want you to pray for their well-being. I want you to pray for their physical well-being, their spiritual well-being, their emotional well-being. Pray for them to be well, to be healthy, to be whole. And then the second thing I want you to do in this time is I want you to pray and ask God how he might actually want you to love and engage with this person or with that group of people. Sound good? All right, so we're going to take a minute or two to do that right now. In the, last, in the last verse of the passage that we've been in this morning, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus sort of like goes out with a bang. He says that you are to be perfect, like your heavenly Father is perfect. And if you're like me, you probably hear that or read that, and you're like, what? It's hard enough to like love my enemy, but I also have to be perfect? Like, How am I supposed to do that? You see, the, the word translated as perfect, the Greek word that Jesus is using is this Greek word teleos. 
And teleos is a word used to describe when something has reached like its end goal. Teleos is when someone has, or something has reached completion. And Jesus says that you are to reach teleos, to reach your end goal, to to come to completion by becoming like your heavenly father. And we know that Jesus is the most clear, powerful image of what the heavenly father is like. And so, in other words, Jesus is saying to reach your teleos, to reach your end goal, to become complete as as a person, as a human being, Become like me. Become like Jesus. Love what Jesus loved. Do what Jesus did. And Jesus had a love that flowed out of him to everyone. Jesus loved his neighbor. Jesus loved his enemy. Jesus loved people who were like him, who loved him back. Jesus loved people who weren't like him, who didn't love him back. And our call as as followers of Jesus is to reach completion, to reach this teleos, to become like Jesus. And I think one of the best ways that we do that is we begin to love people. We begin to do the hard work of loving people who are different from us. And I think the end result is a powerful and a beautiful thing. And when we have something like this, when we talk about something like this, it's really hard to imagine what it actually looks like to sort of like reach completion, to reach like an end goal, and be able to responsively and reactively love people who are different from us without even thinking about out of habit. So I thought this morning, I wanted to just give you a quick illustration. I wanted to close with an illustration of what this can actually look like. The beauty and the power that can be had when someone begins to love like Jesus, when someone begins to do the things that Jesus did, when someone begins to responsively and reactively without thinking out of habit, love people who are different than them. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I think is, um, I had, I, I'm in seminary and I had to take a class, uh, I got to take a class uh, reading uh, and listening to basically everything he ever wrote and said. And uh, I'm convinced uh, that few people have reached like teleos, have reached completion, have loved the way that Jesus loved, did the things that Jesus did than Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., And uh, in a sermon that he gave to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama on November 17th, 1957, he said this. To our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you want and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves, we shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory.
Do to us what you will and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes, threaten our children and we shall still love you. Throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Send your domestic terrorists into our communities, beat us and we shall still love you. You see, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. began to responsively and reactively, out of habit, without thinking, love his enemies. Love people who were different from him. Love people who didn't get along with him. And as Christians, we have the same call. So may we begin to build up this kinesthetic sense. May we begin to pray for our enemies. May we begin to love our enemies without even thinking about it because that's what Jesus did. That's who Jesus loved. And that's what God's kingdom is like. Will you pray with me this morning? God, uh, we thank you for this morning. Uh, as I was worshiping, I just like had chills, uh, just getting to gather as a church and worship you and praise you. And God, we are all so full of different desires, different wants, different loves. God, I pray that this morning would, ju would just be a time that we take those wants, we take those loves, we take those desires, and we point them towards you, we point them towards your son, Jesus, that we would begin to love the things that Jesus loved, that we would begin to do the things that Jesus did. Not just because it's beautiful, but because it's what your kingdom is like, it's how we were created to be, it's how we reach completion, it's how we reach perfection. So help us get there, God. Help us, uh, help us love our enemies without even thinking about it. It'd be our first response, not to spew venomous words, not to uh, yell hate, not to react violently, but to love people, care for people, pray for people, engage with people who are different from us, who are our enemies. And we ask all this to you, God, in the powerful, powerful name of your son, Jesus, who we have our hope and we have our life in. To you be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.